Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hello, everyone. I have to apologize in advance. I have been fighting a cold for over a week, um, so my voice is a little wonky sounding, um, but I am super excited about this episode because we're talking about siblings. We're talking about introducing new siblings to children, how we can prepare them, what challenges we might expect. Um, So today I have Devin Kuntzman here with me. She is the original toddler parenting coach and the founder of Transforming Toddlerhood. As a toddler expert, she is on a mission to transform the myth that toddlerhood is terrible. Devin empowers toddler parents to overcome the challenges of toddlerhood, nurture development, and create confidence in their skills by being the loving leader and guide through using positive, respectful, and developmentally appropriate parenting tools. As a result, parents are able to transform their parenting their toddler's behavior, and their overall experience of toddlerhood, creating a foundation for a relationship that lasts a lifetime with their child. Devin has supported thousands of parents and caregivers across the world to transform their parenting and their toddler's behavior. She holds a degree in psychology and child development and is an ICF certified coach. When she isn't working with parents and toddlers, Devin can be found on her yoga mat, riding her bicycle, or drinking kombucha, not all at the same time. And Devin will talk about this a little bit at the end of the episode. But if you are listening and you are listening within the first couple of weeks or so of this podcast being aired, um, Devin does have a conference coming out. I am a part of it. I am a speaker for it. Um, And so I do have a link in the show notes for that conference. So make sure you go check that out and sign up for it. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm so excited to have Devin here with us today to talk about toddlers and introducing um, our toddlers to new siblings and how to prepare them for that. So thank you, Devin, so much for joining us. Would you mind just starting with kind of introducing yourself, giving us a little bit of background information and why you're so passionate about toddlers? 
Absolutely. So first of all, I am Devin Kunzman, the founder of Transforming Toddlerhood. I'm a toddler expert and our mission at Transforming Toddlerhood is to dispel the myth that toddlerhood is terrible while empowering parents and caregivers to overcome the challenges, nurture development, and create confidence in their parenting skills using positive, respectful, developmentally appropriate tools. Because the toddler years are really challenging. They're also really critical for your child's development. And so um, I just realized about four years ago, and I can't believe like, oh my gosh, four years ago, how did four years go by? Uh, there was no one on Instagram talking about toddlerhood and the toddler years. I mean, there are lots of coaches out there. They're talking about like when you bring home baby, or they're talking about just um, parenting in general, or really geared towards school-age children. And I just noticed there is a huge gap because the toddler years are so challenging and so critical that we needed to get parents and caregivers supported during this time. And that's why I created Transforming Toddlerhood. I love that. And I think that's so true. It's like toddlerhood is so interesting and amazing, but it's almost like, well, what do you do? Like, I know what to do with babies. I kind of think I know what to do with school-age children, but what about that? like that in between where it's like your toddlers can't understand, maybe they can't understand what you're talking about, or maybe they can't communicate with you. It's just a lot going on. So with that being said, can you explain to us kind of what makes toddlerhood, um, this really critical yet often misunderstood developmental period? Yeah. So basically when a baby is born and their first year of life or so, Babies really relate to themselves as an extension of their parents and caregivers. And a lot of times parents and caregivers relate to their baby as an extension of them because overall babies typically go with the flow. They go along with our agenda um, because they're honestly not independent enough to um, have it go another way, but then they hit the toddler years and there's not a specific um, like age, like, oh my gosh, now your kid's definitely a toddler, but it's more of like a shift in development. When a child is able to um, oftentimes walk, be able to start exploring, be able to go off um, from their parents and caregivers and do their own thing that they start to realize that they are a separate individual. And so the big overarching developmental goal of for toddlerhood is for children to discover that they are their own person and create their own sense of self. And they do this through experimenting and exploring. But sometimes some of the behaviors that come along with this can feel really challenging to us because we're still like, hey, what about my agenda? You were following my agenda a week ago, and now you have your own priorities, your own preferences, you want to do your own thing. And so um, it's really um, challenging, you know, when a toddler is saying no, or all of a sudden we ask them to do something and they run off or they look us in the eye and do the opposite. And this can feel super, super frustrating. And sometimes we interpret this behavior as bad or wrong, but really it's a toddler being um, really being developmentally driven to be their own person and experimenting and exploring with what that looks like and what it means. Yeah, it is so hard. And I think that's one of the things, like the big things that parents, like I want parents to understand and I want myself as a parent, like I understand it, but sometimes it's still hard when you have a toddler in front of you who is not doing what you're telling them to do or doing something you're telling them not to do that. It really actually is important to their development for them to test the limits and test the boundaries and, and kind of do their own thing. Um, okay. So getting kind of into the sibling discussion, cause we have this toddler who oftentimes might be like the only child, or maybe they have an older sibling, um, but they're the youngest. And then now we're, they're maybe expecting a baby sibling or what, you know, we're expecting a child. So what does that look like? And can you start by maybe, um, telling us some ways that we could prepare our toddler before the baby's even born, how we, can we prepare them for the arrival of a new sibling? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, every child really has a different, um, reaction to a new sibling, um, either being on the way or a new sibling actually being there and having arrived. And so, um, it's, there's not really just like one way that, that children respond. And I would say that kids that are younger than, than four, 
Uh, four and younger, they tend to have a more challenging time adjusting to a new sibling where like five-year-olds are in a different developmental phase. And so um, five and older, they tend to um, have a little bit easier time, but that doesn't always, you know, that's not always true. A lot of times it also depends on personality, temperament, and things like this, but it's common for toddlers to experience jealousy and frustration, excitement, separation, anxiety, or have more tantrums or test limits or have parental preference or just generally kind of act out um, when they're um, feeling that when they know or when they feel that a big change is about to happen or has already happened. So some ways that we can prepare a toddler for a new sibling is first of all, to really um, to give information. So to let them know what to expect. So you may read books about um, having a baby, baby's arrival. Um, you may um, talk to uh, about the baby. You may help, um, also create some ways for involvement. So having your toddler really be part of the preparations. So instead of sidelining a, a toddler, getting them involved, you know, and it might be getting them involved in like small decisions, like where should we put this or that in the nursery? or um, maybe getting them involved in like a gender reveal or the baby shower, um, kind of like practicing, like, okay, let's, let's figure out how we're going to change this baby's diaper. Let's practice on your dolls. Um, and like, you know, parents can practice and toddler can practice if they want, but just really like incorporating, um, you know, the baby like in the idea of a baby into daily life before the baby arrives. And some other things I might recommend is just getting curious about your child's experience. Um, especially if they're a little older, um, and have some, um, expressive language skills, you might just ask them like, what do you think about it? Um, how do you feel about it? And you can even ask a younger child, even if they can't communicate back to you, receptive language develops before expressive language. So they'll probably be able to understand what you're saying, even if they can't necessarily um, reply back. But the biggest thing you wanna do throughout all of these suggestions I just gave is to provide reassurance of your unconditional love. I love you no matter what, and a baby won't change that. I love you no matter what, even as our family grows, because I know there can be sometimes like feelings of like a lot of guilt or like wondering, like, am I hurting my child in our relationship by growing our family? And I just want everyone to know that it's not bad or wrong to grow your family. Even if a toddler has a hard time adjusting, it doesn't mean you've done something bad or wrong by expanding the family it just means that your toddler needs a little bit of extra support adjusting. Yeah. I love that. I love what you said that it's not bad or wrong, even if your toddler is having a hard time adjusting. And that's so true for many things in life. Um, you know, we can set boundaries, loving boundaries with our child to keep them safe or to keep them healthy. Um, and it, just because they experience some emotions surrounding those boundaries or limits doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing to do. Just because we move across the country and our, our child has a hard time with it doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. It's kind of just this part of life and it's, you know, really good life skills and life lessons that children have to learn that sometimes things don't go their way or sometimes, you know, there are things that are challenging that happen. And I think, like you said, really remaining connected with them throughout that and giving them reassurance that it doesn't change how we feel about them is so, so, so important. Yeah. Because that's really, um, you know, a child's biggest fear is losing our unconditional love and acceptance. And so when there are big changes like moving or starting school or a new sibling coming, when there's a disruption to day-to-day -day life, sometimes it can send kids into, um, that, that stress response where, you know, subconsciously they're wondering, like, am I, Am I loved? Am I accepted? Even when I have a tantrum, even when I'm upset. And the thing is, is that in these moments, like when a child comes up to a limit and they um, have an emotional release as they try to adjust, or maybe they're just having a hard time um, coping with like a move or starting school or having a new sibling, the difference between this being something that has a negative impact on a child or something that has a positive impact and an opportunity to build resilience is our response. And when we can have warm and loving responses um, to a child to really support their emotions and their experience, 
as well as still upholding, you know, limits and following through on them at the same time. This is what helps a child grow resilience versus, you know, having change have a negative impact on a child. Yes. I love that. Okay. So I think you touched on this a little bit. We were talking about preparing a child for a new sibling. Um, but I, I think you kind of mentioned, you know, they may start acting out or having these behaviors that maybe are new. And I just wanted to clarify, um, because that can actually happen even prior to the arrival of the sibling, right? Like in anticipation, they're, they're sensing that something's going to change, or you're communicating to them that something's going to change. They may already start kind of doing these behaviors or acting in a different way, um, prior to the sibling being here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that once baby sibling arrives, and I know this obviously looks different for all families and all children, but what do those early days and months tend to look like? Um, or what are some common kind of patterns that, that a lot of families will see? Yeah. So, you know, it really depends on the child and those like first few days and weeks. And, um, you know, some kiddos are like really not even interested in the baby. They're like, Meh, you know, like this isn't that exciting. Um, whatever. Some children are really, um, interested in the baby and they want to be right there and they want to touch the baby and feed the baby. And they just want to be really involved with the baby, which is actually a really great sign. And the more that we can create integration, between the two children and letting the older child be a part of the younger child's um, life and daily routine from the beginning, instead of sidelining the toddler, then the more harmony that this, um, the child is going to feel with the baby. So, um, and then sometimes you might just get a big reaction where I love telling the story of when um, my when my sister came home, uh, so I don't really remember this, but the story's been told to me so many times um, that when I had a baby sister as a kiddo, um, I went over to the changing station. I was about three at the time. Um, and I got the baby powder out. It must've like already been opened. And my mom was um, you know, doing something, maybe feeding the baby. And I just started with this baby powder and made a trail all the way, like from the changing uh, table, all the way through the house, like downstairs, went up the steps, all the trail, all the way up the steps, and then emptied the, <laughs> the rest of the bottle into the bathtub and then got in it and jumped around in it and then continued to walk around the house. You know, like this was my like little, like silent protest of like, Hey, I feel out of control or I don't, I'm, I'm uneasy with how things are going, or I just want to know if I'm still seen and heard. And these are some of the questions that toddlers will ask through their behavior of, you know, what we just might label as acting out, right? Like dumping mm -hmm. baby powder yeah. <laughs> all over the house, you know, that would be just like generally considered as acting out. Um, but sometimes kids that are a little older, um, have more, um, expressive language skills might say like, baby go bye-bye or put the baby back in your belly or something mm -hmm. like that. And that's not uncommon. And if a child says this, they're not saying, I hate this baby. I don't want a sibling. You know, that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is this is new and I'm feeling uneasy about it. I'm not sure about it. And I'm having a hard time adjusting. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Well, and I think if depending on the age of the child, they actually might be saying, I hate this baby. Right. But yes. that's not what you're saying. I think is correct me if I'm wrong, is that that's not the meaning of the words. They might be saying those things that sound really mean and harsh to us, but we shouldn't take the words at face value. We should really dig beneath the words and find out what is going on to make them feel so strongly that they're saying those words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have to be like an investigator and they might say something like, uh, you're a mean mommy, or I hate the baby or, you know, something like this. And, but anytime a child says, you're not my friend anymore. Like I've heard so many different variations of this and what a child is saying in these moments, whether they're saying it in reaction to a new sibling or any other thing that's happening in their life. Um, it's important just to remember that a child is when a child is younger, when a child's like one and two, they're going to use their behavior, their, their actions a little bit more to express their feelings, emotions, and needs that are happening on the inside, um, to the world. But as children get a little bit older, 
you know, um, end of the twos, like three to four years old, they have more verbal skills. So they're going to start using their words to communicate their feelings, emotions, and needs. The problem is, is that they're, they're still not very skilled at saying I'm having a hard time and need some reassurance, or I feel I'm not feeling very connected to you. And I need some one-on-one time. They're going to say like, you're not my friend anymore, or I want the baby to go away. That's how they're going to communicate it because they don't have the ability to express very specifically how they're feeling and what they're experiencing, especially if they've dropped into their lower brain into a stress response. Yeah. So since we're talking about this, if, if a parent does have a a toddler who is saying things like that, how would you recommend they respond? Absolutely. So I would recommend you respond with some validation, something like I hear you saying, um, like I hear you saying, um, you want the baby to go bye-bye something like that. And then I get curious from there and say something like, tell me more. Or I might say something like, um, I wonder if you're having a hard time with the new baby, or I wonder if you miss life before the baby came or, you know, but getting some type of curiosity to go a little bit deeper to really try to unearth what the child's feeling. And they might be able to tell you, they might not, you might guess it, you might not. But the point is, is that that time that you spend getting curious and talking about it is making your child feel seen and heard, which is already going to help them so much. Like if we, if we, um, respond with something like any type of like shame, blame, guilt, judgment, or fear, something like you don't talk to me that way. That is not nice. Um, you need to go to timeout or something like that. So what we're actually doing is perpetuating this child's fear of, I don't know if I'm seen. I don't know if I'm heard. I don't know if I'm important anymore. I don't know if I'm unconditionally loved anymore. So we're actually perpetuating the fear, which is not going to um, solve the behavior. It's actually going to increase the behavior because those feelings are increasing. Um, And, you know, when there's emotional dysregulation, it leads to behavior dysregulation. And so when we can respond with compassion and connection, And then, you know, still then from there, you know, once we're getting curious, give them that reassurance. I love you no matter what. And then also finding a way forward, like what they can teaching them, what they can say next time to better express themselves or finding, um, like making plans to do a fun activity one-on-one or something, or, um, finding a way to get them involved more with the baby. So they don't feel like separated or on the side. These can all be helpful ways of resolving it, which is focused on teaching skills versus punishing a child for a lack of skills and having, um, uncomfortable feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some common traps that parents will fall into when it comes to helping their child adjust to a new sibling? Yeah. So there's definitely some traps that we, um, unknowingly fall into. And, um, I I probably could list a lot of them, but I'll just start, uh, I'll I'll give you a couple. So one thing might be, uh, blaming the baby. So it might be something like, um, like when you make the baby an obstacle, uh, to getting, um, like to getting like attention or getting, um, connection or helping a child. So it might be something like, I can't play with you right now because the baby needs me or because, um, I, I need to feed the baby or something like this. So what we might say instead is something like, Oh, you want to play. I love playing with you. I'm coming to play with you as soon as I'm done feeding the baby. So now we're turning a no, no, sorry, I can't do that thing to into a not yet. Oh, I love doing that thing. And I'm going to be there soon. Um, So now we're not making the baby the center of like the center obstacle to um, getting for a child to getting what they want or need in that moment. I love that. Yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. It's really supportive. And another one I would say is, um, gosh, I don't know. What's the next one I want to choose maybe saying, um, 
Okay. But maybe I'll choose this one. Okay. So creating unnecessary transitions. So sometimes when we have, um, like a, a new sibling is a really big transition for a toddler. So sometimes we're thinking, oh, well to prepare for this new sibling, we better, um, we, we better just get our child potty trained. So then we don't have to be changing diapers for two kids, or, um, maybe we'll just move our toddler to a big kid bed because, um, we really would love to use that crib for the baby. Or, um, you know, I think that we should just, we, we've been wanting to work on um, not having a pacifier anymore. So let's just do that and get it over with before the baby comes. So basically creating unnecessary transitions um, before um, a child is actually ready for them and like using the baby as an excuse to do it. And I'm not saying doing any of these things are bad or wrong, but it's like you, what we're doing is we're making the decision based on um, the baby arriving versus based on what does my child need? What is my, what's developmentally appropriate for my child right now? And so sometimes when we, um, accidentally create unnecessary transitions, it can throw a toddler's world even more upside down and, and already a big moment of transition. Yeah, totally. And something that I hear about happening a lot, like specifically related to potty training, for example, is parents will potty train their toddler before baby is born and they'll be doing great. And then once baby is born, they have like a regression, right? And they start needing to be in diapers again and having lots of accidents because those regressions um, often happen with like, just like we talked about earlier with the transition and the behavior changes and kind of this, this acting out quote unquote acting out, um, that if you're making these transitions before they're really ready or, you know, right before another huge transition of getting a sibling, it could all kind of backfire on you anyways, once sibling is here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And regressions are really, you know, typical, like it happens with big changes. And, um, and I see a lot of potty regressions as well. When children start school or start a new school, sometimes you'll see a potty um, regression as well. And I'm sure, um, you've also seen a lot of, um, sleep regressions or perhaps like moving a child to a different bed, um, earlier than they were ready for. And mm -hmm. then, then there's really like a lot more challenges created out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, I always tell parents to kind of just assume that when there is a new sibling in the mix, your other, your toddler, or your child may need a bit more support for sleep, whatever that looks like. It is very common for them to need more support. Maybe they need you, maybe they could put themselves to sleep independently, but now that there's a baby here, they want you to stay with them to go to sleep. Um, maybe they need a little bit more rocking, you know, maybe they want daddy to stay in their bed a little bit longer than usual. And those sorts of things are normal. It's not like a reflection that your child is broken or there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with you. They're just needing a bit more security and comfort and they want to feel safe and they're, they're seeking more, more connection with you. Um, and I tell parents too, you know, it is, it is totally reasonable to want to make that transition. Like for example, if your child is sleeping in your bed with you, if you're bed sharing and you think that your newborn will probably be bed sharing with you as well. And you don't want to have the two, it's totally fine to try to make those transitions prior to baby getting there. Um, but again, you do need to kind of anticipate that there may need to be a bit more support once baby is arrived, once baby's arrived. And maybe that's in the form of partner. If partner is available, partner can help the older child. Um, and mom can be with the baby to nurse baby at night. So there's all of these little like moving parts and pieces, right? It's very dynamic because some families actually do need to make certain transitions for whatever reason before baby arrives. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's like, we want to reduce the amount of transitions that are happening and sometimes transitions are necessary. So I think it's like really having realistic expectation for the transitions and knowing that all of these things that we're talking about, you know, especially with pottying and um, sleep, they really are um, processes, you know, it takes time. And so it's not just going to like happen overnight or be one and done and growth is never linear. So they might have ups and downs and that doesn't mean there's anything bad or wrong about it. So I think it's really about creating realistic expectations and also like making sure that you have the bandwidth and capacity to support your child with the big feelings and emotions and sometimes the big behaviors that may come along with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've talked about a couple of like more specific 
challenges that parents have um, or that children have and some traps. And I have a couple more that I want to ask you about, but first, are there anything, is there any way, so we've talked about preparing a child for a sibling, but what can parents do once sibling has arrived to hopefully not eliminate, but reduce some of these challenges and make sure that the child feels um, connected with and secure and, and um, adapts to this transition a little bit easier? Yeah. Um, well, one big thing, one thing that can be kind of fun is offering a gift from the baby and you don't have to do this, but when, um, when the new sibling arrives home, um, having a gift be offered to the child that's already there, um, can just be like a really sweet memory and can kind of like get the relationship off on a great start. Um, I love can that. be really supportive, but you know, sometimes, well, COVID's made it perhaps a little bit different, but a lot of times when there's a new baby, there's a lot of visitors, a lot of people coming by that are excited to see the baby, hold the baby. And, um, the, a, a toddler can kind of be sidelined in some ways. So I think like, it's important whenever you have, um, when you have like visitors coming or things like that, it's like really, creating the opportunity for your toddler to be involved and, you know, saying like, oh, and, um, Eliza, what have you been up to recently? Let's tell, um, auntie about school or something like that, or, you know, or like bringing in like some of like their toys or just like allowing them to be part of the visit instead of being feeling sidelined and it being all about the baby, because, it can kind of fuel those feelings and emotions that toddlers, this is not the truth, but what toddlers interpret is like, oh, I'm not important anymore. This baby's replaced me or, you know, I'm not feeling seen and heard. And so I think it can just be super important to kind of look at, well, where might I be sidelining my toddler? And this might not be just with visitors, but also just in general with a, a, the baby, you know, Am I allowing my, am I appealing to my toddler's develop, developmental drive? Am I supporting them and feeling capable? Am I supporting them and feeling like they have a role in the family? Um, because these are things that are really important developmentally to toddlers. And when we give them opportunities to feel capable, capable and opportunities to feel like they have a role in the family, especially around um, the baby then this can really support getting the relationship off on, on a good start. And I would say the other thing is, oh my gosh, right. Like it can feel so nerve wracking. Like, you know, your toddler might be like right in the baby's face and you're like, oh my gosh, like they're so fragile. You know, it can just sometimes feel a little bit disconcerting. So I think it's important to, you know, still be able to set limits, being able to model that appropriate behavior, um, the, the appropriate way to interact with a baby, because we think like, oh, it's obvious. Like you don't want to like smother the baby's face. Like when you're giving them a big hug or something, but for a toddler, they don't have the life experience to know these types of things. So they really need us to model the appropriate behavior and, um, notice, notice whenever they're having it and point it out and acknowledge it. So like saying, oh, um, look at you, um, patting the baby's arm so gently. She really likes that. See her smile, you know, something like this, um, instead of always focusing on like the thing that you don't want them to do and like, no, stop, don't do that. All of this, which of course we still want to keep the baby safe, but we want to more so focus on teaching skills, teaching a toddler appropriate ways of interacting with the baby, safe ways of interacting with the baby, um, then pointing out when you notice them doing it, because that's going to reinforce the behavior and help them grow that skill. Yeah, that is so helpful. And it's, it's really hard. It's really hard in the moment. That was probably, um, the biggest, everything you said, I guess, was like a really big struggle for me when I had my second. So my daughter's four and a half and my son is like 21 months. So we're not like in those newborn stages, but we still have a lot of like tricky sibling dynamics. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about, um, you know, this idea of the older child feeling sidelined. And I think that is true. That can be true. Even 
into like, even after the newborn stage, right? Because it's like, you have this baby or this really young toddler now who takes up all of your time and is super needy and maybe, you know, can't communicate and screams and cries and has tantrums when they don't get their way. And the older child now maybe doesn't do that quite as much. So it, you know, and for me, I have to really make an effort to not let the younger child dictate everything. And I have to really focus on like putting aside time that I can really connect with my older child and we can do something my older child wants to do. And it's not just what my younger child wants to do. Um, And sometimes that means my younger child cries a little bit and then I'm there supporting him and saying, I'm sorry, right now I'm holding your sister. And he hates that, right? He hates when I'm holding anybody except for him. Um, One thing, this is really simple, but one thing that we have been doing for a long time because I bed share with my youngest um, is sometimes in the morning, my oldest wants to snuggle with me in bed. And so like, especially on the weekends, um, I will tell my youngest to go with my, with his dad and I will just snuggle with my oldest child for a few minutes. And usually when my, my husband isn't home, my youngest child will just like hit my daughter and like try to push her out of the way because he gets super jealous. Um, and so sometimes I'm just like, no, I'm sorry, honey. I will be with you in a few minutes, but it's so important that it's not all about baby or all about the youngest child all the time. Um, because I can just imagine that that would feel so horrible as the older child. Yeah, absolutely. You actually uh, made me think of two really great points that I want to share. The first one being is that Um, sometimes it's also the opposite. I I've talked to a lot of parents and caregivers that also kind of have the opposite experience where like, they feel like their older toddler, like their toddler needs them so much and is like, so commanding of their attention that once the the baby is like a little bit more self-sufficient and not in the newborn stage, but maybe like six, eight months and they're like more chill then you know, don't need as much like caregiving every moment that they feel like start to feel guilty. Like, oh my gosh, like, is my younger child even getting enough attention because my older child is just commanding so much attention and needs so much from me. And it can really bring up guilt. And I think like one thing that I always um, talk to parents about when they find themselves in kind of like that inverse um, situation from yours is that, you know, it's not about, um, fair doesn't mean equal, you know? So it's not about giving each child an equal amount of time. It's about meeting the child's needs. And sometimes one child is going to have more needs than the other. And sometimes that'll flip flop and switch. And sometimes one child might have like more needs 65% of the time, 70% of the time, the other child, it might only be 30%, but that doesn't make anyone bad or wrong or make you not enough as a parent, because you feel like you can't equally split your time between both kiddos because that's, that sounds great in like a fantasy world, but it actually might not even be what your children need in that moment. So it's more about looking at what do my kids need and how do I work on meeting their needs um, within my boundaries? So that's one thing I want to, to say. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. I I'm sure that mostly depends on the temperament of your children at various ages, because my, um, my youngest has always been pretty high needs and clingy. And, um, but I know some babies aren't like that. I just don't know what having a baby like that is like. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Cause sometimes like people like definitely have, um, yeah, the opposite. It's like, it's very yeah. interesting. So I see it both ways all the time. Um, and I had something else I wanted to share when you said making it all about the baby, would it be okay if I share yeah, something else absolutely. that came up? So something else that, um, it's kind of like a trap that we can fall into is like, okay, you're right. They don't stay a newborn forever. And then they start growing up and then you might have like a 10 month old, 11 month old, 12 month old, but we're still referring to them as the baby. So whenever you have your, um, you know, your toddler might be getting a little bit older now. And so we're like, oh, he keeps hurting the baby. He's being too rough with the baby, but actually you have an 11 month old and like a three-year-old and you're about to have two toddlers here. And so I think there's something to be said for like kind of calibrating ourselves and our expectations and like referring to, um, the younger child as like, you know, referring to them with their name and things like that versus like perpetuating this child's the baby. Because when we are constantly calling a, a, a baby who's headed to toddler years, the baby, then we, it really shifts our lens to looking at the older child as 
sometimes expecting them to have more regulation skills than they actually have and thinking, well, they're the, they're not the baby, they should know better. And so we can kind of fall into these traps where, you know, the baby's getting favored because we're still treating them like they're three months old when actually you basically have two toddlers on your hands at this point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm glad that you kind of went into that, that, um, transition because I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about now we're past the newborn and infancy stage. And we're into, you know, we have a baby who is, or a a young toddler who is a bit more mobile and can interact and play with their older sibling. And this idea of, you know, something that I personally really struggle with. My oldest, my daughter has some sensory issues. So she like, she doesn't, she's really likes to squeeze and squish and pull and, um, And she says, I just can't help it because he's so cute or I love him so much. And so dealing with those kinds of things, dealing with maybe an older child who is really aggressive towards their mobile younger sibling, but like also not wanting to get into this like drama triangle of mom is always saving the younger child and the older child's the victim or the perpetrator, um, because that's not a good like cycle and dynamic to get into. Do you have any tips for dealing with that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Because this, you're totally right. This is a dynamic that can, um, get set up, um, pretty early on. And then this is what creates a lot of sibling rivalry down the road because we've actually labeled one as like the aggressor and one as the victim. And so then they start playing those parts because that's the part they're kind of being conditioned to. And so we tend to reinforce behavior we don't want to see, and it doesn't actually help anyone learn skills and move forward, but it happens sometimes. So if you found yourself doing that, it's not bad or wrong. It's just like looking at, okay, what would be a more effective way of, um, supporting siblings in the sibling relationship. So what I recommend in these moments is to focus on, first of all, creating safety. So if there is a safety concern, it's going to be really hard to respond intentionally when we're getting activated and going into a stress response, because we're afraid someone's about to get hurt. So what we need to do is, you know, separate them. Like I had an example the other day, um, one of my clients, their um, three-year-old was rolling on the 11 month old and does it all the time, like rolling on top of them. And then the younger one starts crying. So what I would do and come in is say something like, whoa, okay. I see you rolling on your brother. That's not safe. And like pick him and then like pick up the child and, or separate them somehow. So basically it's like coming in, narrating, setting any type of limit to create the safety. Once the safety has been established, it gives us time to really get grounded, get calm, to be able to address the behaviors. But basically from there, you want to focus on trying to understand like, um, what's the root of this behavior? Are they trying to get your attention? And is it a bid for connection with the adult? Is it the child's trying to play, but they are having like an inappropriate, like invitation to play or bid to play there. Um, and so it's like really looking like another example was like, um, the three-year-old was putting a blanket on top of the 11 month old. And, um, the parents were feeling this is unsafe because they didn't want the younger kid's head to be covered. And so it like might be showing, okay, well, here's how we play safely with this blanket. Um, and we keep it below the neck and like actually showing them how to do it. So it's really about creating the connection to getting to the root of the behavior setting limits as needed on unsafe behaviors and teaching skills that have it go differently. So like with your um, daughter, it might be like, you know, giving her something nearby, like a, a stuffed animal or something like this, that she can squeeze that like gives her another way to meet that need. Um, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, the younger one, um, who doesn't yeah. like it. That's what we've actually done. We've worked on, um, I give her, I have therapy and I say, Mm -hmm. if you have the urge to squeeze or squish or pull, let me know. And I'll get the therapy out for you. And she has, it it took a really long time for her to connect that. And, but now she will tell me that she has the urge to squeeze, but it took probably a year or a year and a half to get there. And it was just like over and over like repetition. That's the thing. Thank you so much for saying that because a lot of parents and caregivers feel like, okay, I tried this once or twice and it's not working. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. First, we have to calibrate what we mean by working. Is it meeting your child's needs and your needs? But also when we look at setting limits and what makes a limit stick or what makes a limit work, 
we sometimes set limits and then expect kids to comply. But actually, if they were able to comply, we probably wouldn't need to set the limit in the first place because they wouldn't be doing the behavior. So what we need to do is set the limit and continuing following through until the child's able to meet the limit. So what you probably did was every day or even multiple times a day, when this behavior happened, you redirected to this, uh, the putty and, um, you know, was teaching her the skill and it took time Mm -hmm. to like reconnect. But what I'm assuming is that you kept following through until she was able to meet the expectation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All of this is really, really helpful and sounds amazing. And I think the problem I personally run into, and I know other people, and this could honestly be an entire, a different podcast episode. We could talk about it for a long time, but what do you have any tips for parents who, I mean, because you have one child and it's tough, right? Like you, you have their triggers, they're having tantrums. Um, you're maybe getting upset, but then when you throw up another child into it and now they're like, being aggressive with each other, or you feel like maybe your younger child is in danger somehow. I feel like the triggers, um, for parents that do experience a lot of triggers and have a hard time with self-regulation, it can be even more intensified and harder to remain calm. So do you have any tips for parents to work on their own self-regulation so that they can really pause and calm down and work with their child in the ways that you're, you're describing here rather than just reacting to them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I recommend that can just be helpful, which is sounds like it's not connected, but I'm going to say it first is using the environment to our advantage. So we want to sometimes be proactive when we're, when we're still regulated to use the environment to our advantage. So what does that mean? Well, if we know that we have um, a toddler that's more sensitive, that really wants to like keep their build a tower and not have it knocked down, then we might set up, um, like a gate across like one section of like an area of a room where your child could go when they want to have, um, alone playtime. So now you're giving your child a tool that's going to prevent a sibling conflict. And so we're going to prevent, you know, everyone getting triggered, including ourselves. So we want to just look at little ways that we can set up the environment and be proactive to support ourselves before we even have to like deal with some type of challenging behavior. Cause sometimes Mm -hmm. we can head it off. However, yeah, we're human beings and we are, I always say a reaction is an emotion in action. I've never heard anyone else describe it this way, but this is how I like to describe it. It's an emotion in action. And so what we want to do, the goal is, is to create some space between our emotions and our actions. And that's how we stop reacting and start more intentionally responding. Now, if you read like all the positive parenting books and everything, they say, well, you need to pause. Well, you need to pause. You need to pause. Well, tell that to someone who's in the middle of a stress response, who's flight, fright, or fight, flight, or freeze, um, you know, emergency response system is activated, right? That is really, really hard to do. So that's why the first step I teach every parent when we're working with sibling conflict or any other challenging behavior, before we can think about responding, we have to create safety. And by safety, I mean the physical safety and the emotional safety. The physical safety creates space for the emotional safety to be created. So physical safety is removing any type of safety threat. So we can tell ourselves, this is not an emergency. I'm safe and my child's safe. And this takes a lot of practice, but if we're perceiving a threat or we are, um, or there's actual safety threat, we it's going to be impossible to disrupt our stress response. So we've got to create that physical safety first. Once we do that, we can tell ourselves, this is not an emergency. I'm safe. My child's safe. And then we can start looking at how to ground ourselves and we can start disrupting the stress response and taking away that sense of urgency, because if it's not an emergency, meaning everyone is physically safe, we can wait five minutes, 15 minutes, 50 minutes, even Mm -hmm. before we address whatever the behavior was that happened, because if everyone's safe, we don't have to urgently respond or react. And I think that's the biggest thing to learn. Now, of course, 
there's other things that will impact this, like doing work on identifying your triggers and um, understanding where they come from and how they get um, activated and ways to um, work through those either on your own with a parenting coach, sometimes with a therapist, definitely um, looking at parental burnout, see if you're at risk or in the middle of burnout, looking at how you can get supported, looking at how you can get breaks, look at how you can create moments um, to be the other parts of you besides the parenting part. Um, and so these things will all have an impact. You know, if we have unmet needs, we're hungry, we're tired, things like that. But when it comes to like what to do in the moment, I recommend creating the physical safety so we can create the emotional safety and creating that emotional safety might look like walking out of the room for a moment. It might look like laying down on the ground and closing your eyes, like something so radical that you would never do, but it's like, they've never done before, but sometimes we need to, um, do something really radical and different. It might be counting backwards by sevens because we actually have to use our brains to maybe do that versus like counting by like another multiple that's like a little bit easier or doing some EFT tapping um, in those moments to calm down if that's part of your toolbox. So it's really about creating a calming toolbox for yourself before we can even help our children, you know, create their calming toolboxes. That's really helpful. It's helpful to have like clear guidance about what is the first step? What is the second step? What are some things you can do? I love that. Um, okay, Devin, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. For those who want to learn more from you, can you share where we can find you and what resources you have available for parents? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at transformingtoddlerhood.com or on Instagram at transformingtoddlerhood. And um, for parents that and caregivers that are really working on introducing a new sibling, I have a great workshop called Toddler Meets Baby um, that you can um, take that will teach you all about uh, what we talked about today and more. And um, yeah, and I have plenty of um, courses and uh, workshops that I host to help parents overcome the challenges of toddlerhood. And we also have the Transforming Toddlerhood Conference coming up as well, um, which is an amazing resource full of lots of different experts on um, all areas of uh, toddlerhood and toddler behavior development and well-being that Taylor's also a part of as well speaking. So yeah, lots of ways to get supported and uh, ways to check us out. And if you have a specific parenting question, you can find me on wizio.com, W-I-S-I-O, and ask me a parenting question and get your own personalized video response. Oh, that's amazing. And I will link all of those things, including the conference um, in the show notes so you can find them easily. Well, Devin, thank you so much for being here with us. This has been so helpful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I mean, I just love the early years. I love talking about toddlers and it's such a pleasure to be able to support everyone. You do such important work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.